Bleak Expectations by Mark Evans. Volume 5, Chapter the 4th. A writerly life made dreadfully different. Oh, fiddle-dee-dee and tickle-dee-me. I'm in a good mood, sir. Where? Should I summon a doctor, sir? No, my happiness is not due to a disease such as delighty-itis, gladular fever, or that most flamboyant of illnesses, influenza zaza. It is because I have purchased a new musical phonograph to drown out the irksome wittering of my perpetually late daughter and son-in-law. I think I hear them arriving, sir. They must not see me happy. I shall turn up my anger stat. <laughs> yeah, my crossness has gone up to 11. You may let them in. Mr. and Mrs. Sarquil, sir. Papa, forgive our latitude. Where is your husband? Here I am, on Lily's back. Why? Have you forgotten to walk? Uh, no, no, that only happened the once. <laughs> it is because he has broken both his legs. That's a shame. Thank you for the sympathy. It's regret. I wish I'd been there to see it. <laughs> How did it happen? In a competition. What competition? It was a break-your-own-legs contest. <laughs> uh, at least you won. No, he tripped as he went to fill in the entry forms. <laughs> Hence, I carried him up the stairs. But for my future movement, behold my miniature horse-drawn wheelchair. They are trained to respond to simple command sounds. This means forwards. <laughs> this backwards. This left. This right. Oh, I tire of your wittering. Serve well the phonograph. Yes, sir. Put on Beethoven's concerto for orchestra, duck call, bell, horn, and swanny whistle. How delightful. Here comes the duck call solo. Small horses have smashed through the wall, though not before smashing my body painfully into it first. Oh, how lucky your legs were already broken, dearest. Stop your whining like a coward and listen. For my story starts again. Now, last time you heard how I thwarted my evil ex-guardian Mr. Gently Benevolent's plan to melt Antarctica, flood the world, and make everyone live like fish or very wet humans. Alas, he had escaped. And now I, my wife Ripley, Sister Pippa, and best friend Harry Biscuit were trapped in an icy hell. We are doomed to be frozen and forgotten like leftover casserole at the back of a freezer. Still, casserole, yummy. No, Harry, there is no casserole. What? Oh! Infuriated by lack of casserole, Harry stamped his feet like a frustrated toddler or angry Irish dancer. And a huge chunk of Antarctica broke off, creating a mighty ice ship. That was entirely planned. <laughs> yeah, right. In those days, Britannia truly ruled the waves, and all ocean currents led to Britain, so we were quickly borne homewards. Though... <laughs> As we headed north, the climate got warmer. Wow! I've grown! I'm massive! 
Or the ice ship is melting. <laughs> Prefer my theory. Look, I'm a giant! As it shrank, one by one we climbed on each other's shoulders, eventually forming a short, wobbly human skyscraper. Luckily, we soon spied the cliffs of Dover, which were more patriotic back then, being not just white, but also red and blue. <laughs> ah, England. 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 France. <laughs> Sorry, I'm looking the wrong way. <laughs> Leaving the savage countryside, we returned to cosmopolitan London with its wishy-washy social attitudes and extensive wine list. The great city was reassuringly familiar, teeming with people effluent and disease, though there was one shocking change. By law, outside the British Library stood a statue of Britain's favourite writer, which for years had been me. But now... Look, my statue is different. It has put on weight, and a beard, and a different name. That's because it's not you. What? Then who is it? It says it's a Charles Dickens. I instantly hate him and think he's rubbish. What's he ever written? <laughs> Apparently, lots of incredibly popular books. Whereas you haven't written anything since your last book about Mr. Benevolent, Our Mutual Fiend. <laughs> I haven't had time. I've been busy saving the world. I want my statue back. Enraged, I returned home, where a surprising missive awaited me. Dear Pip Bin, open brackets, incidentally, dear is just customary, not a term of affection, because I actually hate you, close brackets. <laughs> just to let you know, I've decided to give up being evil. It's getting too much like a proper job. I've run out of dastardly ideas and my knees hurt. <laughs> Worst wishes, gently benevolent. P.S. I'm definitely not trying to lull you into a false sense of security while secretly plotting my most evil scheme yet. P.P.S. <laughs> oh, I can't be bothered. This at least seemed good news. For in truth, I was beginning to feel too old for competitive thwarting. If I did it at all anymore, it would be strictly amateur thwarting. Perhaps to some local thwarting club where I could join their Sunday team or coach the Colts. At last, some free time. I shall write a new book and re-become Britain's favourite author. And I can rededicate myself to helping feed the poor poor. What about you, Ripley? I shall go and serve the community. So noble. And I shall invent inventions and contract contractions. <laughs> Alas, before I could start my new book, I was disturbed by a visitor. Yes? Pip Bill. I am him here. <laughs> Hang on, I know you. You're the man from the statue, but smaller and less made of bronze. <laughs> Though you are still covered in pigeon poo. My name is Charles Dickens. As he said this, however, his hair slipped over his face and a bit of his nose fell off. <laughs> and I suddenly doubted his identity. Hang on, are you really Charles Dickens? Of course I am. Uh, born uh, February the 9th, 1812 in Landport, the second son of eight, uh, born to John and Elizabeth Dickens. How biographically convincing. <laughs> Sorry to ask, it's just I've been fooled over the years by evil people in disguise. I can imagine. Uh, with my uh, empathetic novelist brain, and certainly not because I'm the one who's done the fooling, because I'm not. I'm, I'm Charles Dickens. Look, I've even got a case with his, uh, I mean, my initials on it. I call it my CD case. Why are you here, Mr Dickens? Please, call me by my nickname. As your name is contracted from Philip to Pip, so mine is contracted from Charles Dickens to Chickens. <laughs> anyway, I imagine uh, my taking your title has upset you. What? No, 
I certainly didn't instantly hate you or think you were rubbish. Nevertheless, uh, to decide once and for all Britain's favourite novelist, I, I propose a literary duel. Uh, we each write a book, uh, then have a public reading, and may the best book win. A novel off. Exactly. Whoever loses, retires, and lets the winner do anything they want, be that writing, dressing a small dog as a cowboy, or <laughs> revealing themselves to be somebody else and then taking over the world. You've got a deal, chickens. I suggest we go to a special writer's hotel I know, deserted and slightly sinister. Sounds ideal. I'm back, pick bin. Oh, who's this? This is Mr Charles Dickens. My friends call me chickens. Pleased to meet you, chickens. You're not my friend. <laughs> we are both going to write books, then have a novel off. Hey, maybe I should write one as well. You, Harry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, actually, I haven't got time, for I have invented a new system of communication using budgies. They <laughs> memorise short messages in Morse code, then fly to the recipient and tweet them. Uh, here, here is one now. Saw a cat fall into a sink. G-I-A-M-W, C-L-A-C. G-I-A-M-W and C-L-A-C. Guffaw in a manly way, chuckle like a chap. <laughs> this will make me rich enough to fund my next idea, which I call face volume. <laughs> Stopping only to pack the three vital P's of writing, pen, paper and pyjamas, chickens and I set off for our hotel. On arrival, we were greeted by the manager. My name is Delbert Clamp Vulture. <laughs> Welcome to the Overbook Hotel. Named because it is always full. Because it is built on the remains of an old book burial ground. <laughs> anyway, welcome, Mr. Ben, Mr. Benevolent. <coughs> is not here, you'll be pleased to hear. Uh, do you have any luggage? Uh, I, I have this. My writing case. <laughs> Why, that bag is big enough to hold a man. Yes, but it definitely doesn't. <laughs> really? Because I'm pretty sure I can see the outline of a person inside. No, no, you can't, no. Uh, uh, did you know I live in Gads Hill House in Kent, overlooking the Medway, a mere minute from uh, Ordnance Street where I grew up, because I'm the real Charles Dickens? I didn't. How interesting. Anyway, uh, I must get to my room to write. Bye. The contest had begun, and I too hurried to my room, which was perfect for writing. You have a desk, a chair, and the world's largest tin of biscuits. Why does the bathroom sink have three taps? It is a writer's sink. The taps are hot, cold, and coffee. <laughs> now, if there's anything you need, don't hesitate to ask. Well, actually, I'd quite like... I didn't say I'd answer... <laughs> I immediately settled down to write. Though first I unpacked and had a coffee, then stared out of the window, had another coffee, and finally began. Though not before cleaning my room thoroughly, having another coffee, and then reading half the Encyclopedia Britannica for research while having seven more coffees. <laughs> finally, I started, or would have done if I hadn't heard another guest arriving. Better go and say hello. It's not procrastination. It's just good manners. But this new arrival was somebody surprising. Rightly. Why are you here? Because when I went to the cavalry officer's mess, no one would flirt with me. So that's what you meant by serving the community? <laughs> they said I'm too old. I fear my flirting days are over. At least until I'm about 80, when I can say things that actively cross from flirtatious to sex-pesty and get away with it because of my age. <laughs> I can go to restaurants, and when the waiter says, 
What will you have, madam? I can say, you please, and everyone will just laugh at my wizened presumption. <laughs> and until that happy day... I've decided to write a book. What? No. I forbid it. Worried I'll be better than you? Never. Not. And no, Amundo. I'm just concerned. <laughs> Everyone knows it is physically and mentally impossible for women to write novels. Tell that to Jane Austen. I shall. I immediately set off to tell Miss Austen. <laughs> but it turned out she was dead. Somewhat confirming my thesis. <laughs> she died of novelitis. Not a real disease. It is. While you were checking on Jane Austen, I've written my book. It's called Fifty Shades of Hay. <laughs> it's about a farmer and a woman who goes to work for him. Have a look. You cannot write a book like this. A little saucy for you. Her skirt was so short you could almost see her ankle. <laughs> and it gets worse. She opened her door to him, which was a metaphor for other things, actually. <laughs> This will never be published. We'll see, you prude. I'm not being prudish. There are three pages where it just says throb. <laughs> Rightly left to find a publisher, and I returned to my writing. As I passed Mr. Dickens's room, I could hear him inside. Right fast and... Everything all right in there? Oh, yes, I, I was just um, encouraging myself. And, and, and feeling guilty about my first wife, Catherine Dickens, nay, Hogarth, whom I left for the young actress, Ellen Turnan, in 1858. <laughs> Let's get on. Bye. I returned to my room and started to write, after two more coffees and trying to make a model of Stonehenge out of biscuits. <laughs> so here I am, staring at the blank page, blank, empty, like my mind. Ooh, is that another guest? Better go and say hello. I left my room to greet the new guest and definitely not to avoid writing. Hello? Is there anyone there? But it seemed as if there was no one. Until, at the end of the corridor, I saw a terrifying spectral figure in a grey and white shroud, muttering strangely. <laughs> we followed the human figure until it entered a room and slammed the door with supernatural force. Or maybe a hand. <laughs> Despite my fear, I felt compelled to follow it in and reached for the door handle with nerves a jangle, mind a quiver, and knees a knocking. But suddenly... I wouldn't go in room 237 if I were you, sir. Ah, Delbert, how did you manage to creep up on me so quietly? I have my secrets, sir. Is it... Rubber-soled shoes and a thick carpet? Yes. <laughs> Why shouldn't I go in that room? Because it is already occupied. It would be terribly rude. Occupied by a ghost? No, sir, there are no ghosts here, though there are spirits. What sort of spirits? Whiskey, gin, brandy. <laughs> in the bar... I could do with a drink. The bar is that way, sir. Someone will be there to serve you. Shaken, I headed to the bar. But on my arrival... Drink, sir? Dill! How did you get here before me? That would be telling, sir. Was it a tiny bicycle? Yep. <laughs> so you're bartender as well as manager, eh? I'm a jack-of-all hotel trade, sir, and master of four. <laughs> Specifically, bartending, disappointing breakfast-making, groveling to the rich, putting mints on pillows, and saying drink, sir, in a non-judgmental tone. That's fine. I never claimed counting was one of them. <laughs> drink, sir. 
Oh, you did that well. Perhaps a fisky. A fisky? It's fizzy whiskey. <laughs> it was invented so that children might enjoy whiskey too. The drinks industry is so thoughtful. I looked round the bar. It was named the Scribe and Imbibe and was filled with artifacts of writing. There was a pair of Shakespeare's pants, a pair of Chaucer's pants, a pair of Jonathan Swift's pants. To be honest, it was mostly pants. <laughs> and not very clean ones at that. Uh, but one thing especially caught my eye. An ebony pen that somehow seemed to be calling to me, wanting me to pick it up and write with it. Do not touch that, sir. Why not? It is the possessed pen of Penrith. The most evil writing instrument in the country after the bewitched Biro of Birmingham and the haunted highlighter of Haverford West. How can a pen be evil? They say it is filled with Satan's inky blood. That would do it. Only one man has used it. A writer who had become blocked and unable to write. Ha! That's never happened to me. That pen unblocked him. He wrote for 12 days without stopping and without even a single coffee. Impossible. By the end, he had a brilliant book, but oh, how it cost him. For shortly after finishing, he went madly, mentally evil. No one has ever seen him since. Cripes. <laughs> that will be a guest. We have a very distinctive doorbell that sounds like a wolf. <laughs> Despite this warning, I still felt the urge to pick up the pen. But fortunately, I was interrupted by the new guest, my sister. My quest to feed the poor poor does not go well. I had forgotten how awful riffraff can be. Oh, yes. Well, sticky. Common. So I thought, if you give a man a meal, you feed him for a day. But if you give a man a cookbook, you feed him for a lifetime. So I have decided to write one. How is your book going? Don't ask. But brilliantly, how is Harry? Oh, alas, his budgies turned on him. They all sat on the washing line outside his window, tweeting rude things. Such online abuse. He has given up and gone I know not where. At least Harry seemed to be reliably doing even worse than me. For I had to admit it, I was as stuck as a fat man jammed in a pipe doing a really, really hard Sudoku. <laughs> but only a few hours before the novel off, I had no novel. Distraught, I paced the hotel corridors and once again saw the dread grey-white spectre. Why can I not write? Tell me, O oh spirit. I ran after it, but was stopped by the sound of the lift arriving behind me. As the doors opened, I turned, but instead of a person emerging, a great wave of dark liquid flooded out towards me. No! It is ink! Ah! I closed my eyes and waited to be ink-drowned, but... What on earth are you doing, Pip? Frankly, there was a great wave of ink. Sounds like a rather obvious stress hallucination brought on by writer's block. Rubbish! And why are you back? Has your book been rejected by every publisher in the world yet? Actually, I'm picking up Pippa. We are both giving public readings tonight. Rich food for poor people is a hit. I am a celebrity chef, and before my reading, I shall have dinner with some actors pretending to be my friends. <laughs> so, so happy for you. And Fifty Shades of Hay has not only been published, but it is already the best-selling book in history. <laughs> Writing is such fun. And so easy. They skipped merrily out, and I felt only a sick despair. I headed to the scribe and imbibe to drown my sorrows, and suddenly I had an idea. 
I can use the possessed pen of Penrith. Although I might lose my soul to insane evil, at least I wouldn't be publicly humiliated. It seemed a fair trade. <laughs> but alas, as I entered the bar... No! The evil pen is gone. And I shall have no book for the novel off. What's that about no book? Chickens! Um, nothing. Why is your man-sized rating case making that noise? Because it's full of my incredibly vivid new novel. Let me out! Did it say, let me out? It is very keen to get published. Bye! <laughs> he left, and I headed forlornly back to my room. On the way, I passed room 237, the room I had once seen the strange, shrouded figure enter, and I approached the door fearfully. My fear not helped by having to climb over a piano someone had left. <laughs> I entered. There at a desk sat the grey-white spectre, writing away next to a huge stack of finished manuscript. What dread supernatural presence was this? Oh, hello, Pitbin. <laughs> Harry, what are you doing? Why do you look like a ghost? I'm covered in budgie droppings. <laughs> Those birds hate me, so I decided to write a book instead. You seem to have done it. I have. Can you keep an eye on it while I go and clean myself? As Harry washed, I read his manuscript. It was surprisingly good. Better than what I had written, which was nothing. So, loyal friend that I was to him, I decided to steal it. As he emerged from the bathroom, I picked it up and shoved it down my shirt. Ah, all clean again. No! Oh, where is my book? Oh, um, it's gone. The budgies came in and took it. Oh. They really hate you. No! I'm going to kill those budgies. Why did I mess with nature? <laughs> Incidentally, Pitbin, you have some paper sticking out of your shirt. Do I? New type of vest. Oh, of course. <laughs> Harry climbed over the piano outside the door and ran off with budgie vengeance in mind. But as I left the room... Hello, sir. Ah, Delbert! Why are you hiding under that piano? Watching you steal your friend's book, sir. Nonsense. I've committed no crime. I'm sure everyone will agree with you when I tell them. Desperate to escape, I started to scramble over the piano. But having Harry climb over it must have weakened the instrument. As I got to the higher notes at the end, the piano collapsed into Clamp Vulture, crushing him unto death. Accident. That was an accident. Nevertheless, you will pay for it, sir. I shall send the bill from the afterlife. <laughs> the novel off was taking place at that temple to literature, the Readmore Hall. I hurried to my contest and soon found Chicken's massive writing suitcase by his side. As soon as I entered, the referee stood. Right, I want a good clean fight, no reading below the belt, may the best book win. Now for the toss. Heads. Heads it is. Mr. Bin to read, new books please. Bleak Mouse. <laughs> by Harry Pip Bin. Me. I wrote it, chapter one. <laughs> The day was grimly misty and misterly grim, and the sounds of the East End were muted by the dreadful social conditions therein. It had started well, and got better. I moved the crowd to tears. <laughs> Laughter. <laughs> and weirdly, the odd donkey impression. <laughs> but then I was interrupted. Hold on, that's my book. No, stranger, it is mine. Stranger? It is me, Harry Biscuit, your best friend. Sort of still. 
Do you know how many budgies I killed before I realised it was you who'd stolen my book? <laughs> that is a serious allegation. And that is not the real Charles Dickens. Yes, I am. Uh, who, between uh, uh, December 1867 and April 1868, uh, gave 76 public readings in America, and who tonight will read from his, uh, my new novel, The Mystery of Edwin Drood. No, you're not. Harry advanced on him, removed the wig from his head, and tried to remove the beard from his face. Ow! Ow! No, stop! It's not fake. I actually grew a beard to make this disguise more convincing. Mr. Benevolent! Yes. The real Charles Dickens is in this writing case. Oh, thank you. It's true. I've been carrying him around, making him write a book for me. I set up this contest to humiliate you because I knew you couldn't write anymore. But you have failed, because I have a brilliant new book. Which is actually written by me. How did you write something so good? I mean, you're Harry. Well, it was hard at first, but then I found this pen and it got all easy. Harry held up a pen that made me shudder, for it was the possessed pen of Penrith. But Harry, that pen will drive you to evil madness. Well, I am pretty cross with you, but I don't feel evil or mad. Although, hang on, yes, yes, I have gone both evil and mad. <laughs> you don't sound it. I'm building up to it. Um, for example, I feel a strong urge to kill you, Pitbin. Yet you sound so reasonable. Yeah, it's coming, it's coming. <laughs> oh, wait for it. Wait for it. Ah, oh, here we go. <laughs> Harry suddenly snapped, seizing a nearby bust of Britain's favourite author and hurling it at me. <laughs> Harry, no! I ducked out of the way, saving myself. Alas, it struck someone else. Oh, killed by a bust of myself. Is that irony or narcissism? <laughs> I shall not drag my death out sentimentally like that of one of my characters. I shall keep it nice and sure. <laughs> and now for evil pudding, I shall eat the denouement of the mystery of Edwin Drood. As Harry ate, I had a sudden realisation. Yes, with Dickens dead, I am now Britain's favourite author again. Mm -hmm. Oh, was a bit rich. A little overdone in places, but not bad. Uh, oh, that's who did it. <laughs> You may be Britain's favourite author again, Pitbin, but not for long, for I am going to kill you. Well, this is great. Oh, don't gloat, Benevolent. You killed me once, and now I want some payback. That's less great. Ah! Harry seemed to physically swell, and unusually for him, not with cake, but with dark, malicious power. Even Mr. Benevolent seemed scared, and for once, my nemesis and I were united. Do you think we should run for it? Yep. As we ran, Harry ran too. But while we were running away, he was running a mock. And as I fled, I could hear his cheery laugh becoming a thing of pure evil. <laughs> and I knew that my best friend was now a terrifying monster and the world would never be the same again. No. Harry, madly evil, what did you do? That is for next time. Tell me now or I shall shoot you with this pistol. I refuse. I warned you. Next time, try pointing the pistol at me. <laughs> Good idea. Ow. <laughs> but when you return, you shall hear how Harry's horribleness grew like a well-watered weed. How Pippa, Ripley and I tried to restore him to goodness, even forging an alliance with Mr. Benevolent himself. And how, though it sounds almost impossible to believe, Marmalade with sausages is actually quite nice. <laughs>
Bleak Expectations starred Richard Johnson as Philip Bin, Tom Allen as Young Pip, Anthony Head as Mr. Gently Benevolent, James Barkman as Harry Biscuit, Jeffrey Whitehead as Clamp Vulture, Sarah Hadland as Ripley, Susie Kane as Pippa, and Mark Evans as Sundry Referees, and the real Charles Dickens. The producer was Gareth Edwards. Yeah.